Good morning, church. Please turn with me to Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. It's the song of Moses that he led the people of Israel in right after they crossed the Red Sea. It's also the song that we will be singing in heaven, according to Revelation 15, verse 3, the that they, the conquering song of the Lamb, the conquering song, the victorious song that we will sing at the great day, John tells us will be the song of Moses. We've learned that Jesus is the one leading these people out of, out of Egypt and into the promised land, and, and Jesus is ultimately the one writing this song through Moses that his people have sung and will sing forever. We probably don't feel much like singing today on this Palm Sunday, which is usually marked with great victorious singing and the children coming down the center aisle with their palm branches singing all glory, laud, and honor. It, we're, we're used to celebrating Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem the week before his death on the cross. But this week we're, we're grieving the loss of our brother Tim Russell. This week we're grieving not being together on Palm Sunday. And yet, I think we are celebrating Palm Sunday authentically. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, they were greeting him as a victor in their minds, a victory they could imagine, a political victory. They were not a generally happy people. They were oppressed. They were suffering. And yet God moved them to sing, Hosanna, save us. We know it was God who moved them because Jesus said when the, when the religious leaders uh, protested this, this display of honor for him, he said, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks themselves will cry out. God was moving his people counterintuitively to sing praises to him for a victory they could not imagine. And we are singing this day by faith, declaring praises to King Jesus counterintuitively, declaring that he is the victor of a kingdom that we cannot begin to imagine. So with full expectation, of hearing Jesus speak to us in Exodus 15. Look with me, beginning at verse one. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. 
At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the floods stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord? among the gods who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds doing wonders you stretched out your right hand the earth swallowed them you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode the peoples have heard they tremble pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed tremblings Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. To your people, O Lord, pass by. To the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. O Lord Jesus, would you please dispatch your Holy Spirit to breathe on your word? And enable us to praise you, to thank you for a kingdom we cannot imagine, but one we do by faith believe in. By your grace, we believe in it. Oh Lord, cause us to be strong. Encourage us from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said together, amen. Recently, I watched Beautiful Day, the movie, about uh, Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, childhood classic series uh, hosted by a, a Presbyterian minister named Fred Rogers who devoted his life to helping children process their feelings in a healthy way. The movie is uh, about, uh, is based on an article written by a man named Tom Janad, who was a writer for Esquire magazine. He wrote this article in 1998. It was a series on heroes, and one of those American heroes that Esquire focused on was Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers. Tom Janad says in this article that, that uh, as a result of his getting to know Fred Rogers, uh, Rogers helped him 
start praying again. In, in, the, in that article, he portrays a, a number of different people who, whose, lives, whose lives had been uh, transformed by their encounter, either through TV or in person, with Fred Rogers. The movie is then based on that article and those vignettes from that article that was republished in 2017. One of the most interesting to me was um, uh, the the story about a, a, a child who was a man who had been born as blind. And you can imagine the suffering that he endured as a child. And when he grew up, he, he 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 realized that he had he felt like he had missed his childhood. So he did several things. One was he renamed himself. He he named himself Joy Bubbles. He also declared himself to be five years old perpetually, and then he traveled to Pittsburgh and found the archives of all eight hundred and sixty-five episodes of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he devoted himself 10 hours a day to watching every one of those episodes from black and white to color until he had finished the whole series. Toward the end of of watching those episodes, this man said that he had a dream about Fred Rogers, that, that Rogers visited him in his dream and asked him, if he could teach him how to pray. Joy Bubbles said, but Mr. Rogers, I can't pray. Every time I try to pray, I I forget the words. I know that, Mr. Rogers said, and that's why the prayer I'm going to teach you only has three words. What kind of prayer? What kind of prayer, he said, only has three words. Mr. Rogers in his dream said, thank you, God. That is, in essence, what our whole lives should be. A prayer that says, thank you, God. You are still God, and we thank you. I want to give you three reasons from this text that tell us why we can say, even in the midst of this pandemic, even in the midst of our grief over Tim Russell, we can say, thank you, God. We can say thank you to God for his attributes. We can say thank you to God for his vengeance. We can say thank you to God for his redemption. Look with me at how the text unfolds, how it's organized. Uh, Moses gives us clues for how this hymn is arranged by ending each stanza with, O Lord. You see it in verse 6, O Lord. Verse uh, uh, verse, uh, 11, O Lord. And verse 17, O Lord. Each one ends with that most holy name of God, Yahweh. O Lord. That name itself teaches us that that we, when we think about God, we need to think about his attributes and those attributes as they have been revealed 
in order to encourage us concerning the certainty of our salvation. Yahweh, this holy name of God, is the one that by which God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Remember, he, Moses gets a little bit uppity and he, he says, just who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh sent me to him? And God says, tell him I am sent you. I am that I am. That's the verbal form of Yahweh. In other words, I am eternal. Moses, before you ever were, I was. And, and long after you have been, I will be. And the same is true for Pharaoh. I have, before Pharaoh was, before he was born, I was. I am eternal. And my eternal nature should encourage you. You know, it's important to think about, to meditate on God's attributes. Let me encourage you while you have this uh, so much time at home, maybe some more time to read, to, to uh, get a couple of classic books on the attributes of God. My favorite is, is um, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, a great classic of Christian writing. J.I. Packer says we need to study the attributes of God because the ignorance of God, the, the ignorance of God by God's people explains the weakness of the church. We need to know God better. And my second most favorite is this one by Dan DeHaan, The God You Can Know, a little bit more readable, but with a, a forward by J.I. Packer. And Dandy Hahn, as I was rereading this book the other day, Dandy Hahn says that one reason we study the attributes of God is that it, it, it relieves us of intimidation. What a time when we need relief from intimidation and fear. Well, look at the other attributes that are listed by Moses about God and think about how they apply to us today. Uh, first of all, um, in verse 1, Moses says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Now, elsewhere, other scholars translate that same, that same phrase that is translated here, triumphed gloriously, as exalted. I will sing to the Lord, for he is exalted. That means he is uh, sovereign over the cosmos. There is no force, no person, no system that vies for transcendence above God. No virus attacking his creation is exalted. Only God is exalted. And then Moses goes on to say in verse 2, The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my strength. I have no other strength except the strength God gives me. Whenever I asked Tim what I could pray for, he never said pray that God would heal me or pray that God would get me out of this hospital or even pray that I wouldn't die. He only asked me to pray for extraordinary strength. May God give me extraordinary strength. God did give him extraordinary strength to continue to praise the Lord, to continue to hold faith, fast to his faith 
in a, in a faithful redeemer until the very end. And now, of course, he's stronger than he's ever been. The Lord is exalted. The Lord is my strength. And the Lord is my song. Now, you know, in Hebrew poetry, it, it functions by means of couplets or by parallelism. Sometimes the, the following line is, uh, is the opposite of, is a mirror or, or is, is, a, is, a, is a contrast to the former. At other times, it's a parallel. Some scholars say that this just doesn't make sense that, that it would say that, that Moses would say the Lord is my strength and then say my song. We need something that's parallel to strength. He, he must have, it must have originally said that the Lord is my strength and my might. But why wouldn't it be his song? David uses the same kind of a phrase in, in, um, in Psalm 21 and Psalm 59, the ice. You, O Lord, are my strength, therefore I will sing praises to you. When, when, when God is your strength, you sing. When you sing to Christ, you become strong. I, I challenge you in, our, in, our, um, in the reflections on Tim's death to, to learn to sing the Psalms. And I, I, I pointed out that website to you, psalms.seedbed.com, psalms.seedbed.com. And, and there you can, you can find a metrical version of every psalm in the Psalter and suggested tunes to very familiar hymns. Let's follow the legacy of Tim Russell and that great tradition of psalm singing he had from the Reformed Presbyterians that we might, like him someday, even now, sing the psalms in the midst of this terror. God is my, he's exalted. He is my strength. He is my, he is my song. He is my father's God. He's covenantal. He remembers that promise that he made to, uh, to, uh, to Adam and Eve, that the, the seed of the serpent would not triumph over the seed of the woman. And, and then he reiterated it in Abraham, and now he's fulfilling it in Moses. He is preserving the seed through which the Messiah would come, the line through which the Messiah would come, even though the devil is constantly attacking it. And though the devil is attacking us, we have a covenantal God who will not cease to protect us until he has finished creating a people for himself. And then he is a personal God. He is my salvation. He is my God. Charles Spurgeon said, the sweetness of the Christian life lies in its personal pronouns. He was talking about the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. Don't forget God is with you. He is your personal God. He has he come near to you in the person of Jesus Christ. He remains with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. I read once about a, a chaplain who taught his the soldiers in his company in World War II how to face their fears. And they couldn't memorize large portions of Scripture, so he taught them just the first line of the, of the, of the 23rd Psalm with their fingers. He said, attach a word to each finger. The Lord is my shepherd. 
many a soldier was found having died in on the field of battle grasping his ring finger my the Lord is my shepherd we have reason to thank him for his attributes we have reason to thank him for his vengeance the next attribute is is one that that may not seem so sensitive uh, to you in this day and age verse 3 the Lord is a man of war you see his vengeance described in 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 verses um, verses seven to eleven and and fourteen through sixteen. Listen, when you're in trouble, when something is attacking you, when you've been wronged, when you've been wounded, when when you've been when you've been oppressed by evil, you don't want a nice champion. You want a vengeful champion. And that's what you have in God. You have one who loves you so much he takes up your cause. The, 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 the Egyptians were out to destroy God's people. This was he they were his charm, his precious people, his the apple of his eye. They were trying to wipe them out. And God was angry and defended them and brought vengeance on them. He reduced them to the same stubble that they denied the people of Israel in the making of bricks. This God, this God is the one who defends us from all our earthly enemies as well as our spiritual enemies. Those earthly enemies for Israel are named in verses 14 to 16, and they, they, they relate to the, the nations who, that lay along the way uh, to the promised land. You see in, uh, in verse uh, 14, Philistia, and then Edom, and Moab, and Canaan. And each of these nations represented, these nations would continue to be uh, a thorn in the side of Israel until the, the days of King David. But each of them represents an enemy that we can identify with. Philistia, of course, produced Goliath. This represents the giants, the giant oppressors in our life. And then Edom. Edom represents that they, they, they had a blood relationship to Israel, but they wouldn't let them pass through their land. They're traitors. And then Moab. Remember when they couldn't bring Israel down through uh, by hiring Balaam to curse the people, they lured the people of Israel into immorality. And then Canaan with its, with its evil, bloodthirsty religion represents all the forces of evil, seen and unseen. We, we know those enemies. We have giant enemies, not the least of them being, the greatest of them being death. There is evil in this world. This disease has invaded God's good creation by means of the deceit that he carried out against Adam and Eve. We know what it is to, to have traitors in our life, but even our sometimes our own bodies turn against us. 
We are tempted to give up the faith, succumb to immorality, give up the suffering and say, if God's not going to, to save me from this, I'm going to turn on him. But God says, don't do that. Don't give up. I am your defender. I am the one who will fight for you. I'm the one who defends you from all enemies that can be seen and those enemies that cannot be seen. I will, instead of your succumbing to fear, I will make you a terror and a dread to them. Verse 16, terror and dread fall upon them. I've collected in my Bible, the margin of my Bible, next to Psalm 14, a collection of verses that describe God's provoking unbelievers to fear by means of his indwelling us. It says, for instance, in Psalm 53, you caused them to fear when there was nothing to fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He has given us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. He has not given us a spirit of of, of of slavery leading to fear again. He's given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And it's not that, that we work up this, this courage on our own. It is knowing that our God is the one who is protecting us by his promises and will protect us into the next life and the one who at the great day will bring judgment and punishment on all of his and our enemies. And once he has destroyed the last enemy death and thrown death and hell itself into the lake of fire, he will turn toward us and wipe away every tear and remove all pain and sorrow. God is our protector. He's our vengeful protector. God is our redeemer. We have these two incredible words that are so that are very precious to us as Christians in verse 13. You have led in your steadfast love the people you have redeemed. Steadfast love is one word, hesed. Redeemed is a translation of a of a word that we we studied in, in earlier in Exodus, Exodus 13, where the where uh, it was prescribed. The redemption for a firstborn was prescribed. You've heard me speak about hesed or God's loving kindness or his steadfast love many times and we will thoroughly study it in Exodus 33 and 34 where God reveals himself in answer to Moses' question, would you show me your glory? Show me your essence. And God says, here is my essence. I am loving kindness. I am steadfast love. But the next word explains how he can be steadfastly loving toward us. I've told you before that the gospel can be summarized in three words. God loves sinners. But it takes 66 books of the Bible to explain how God loves sinners. The only way he can love us steadfastly is that he has redeemed us. And when we studied Exodus 13, I made the point that, that God, that every place where redemption is used in the Bible relative to God, to Jesus Christ, it involves a price. It involves a cost. 
And that cost is nothing less, was nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ. Well, you say, well, how, how can he talk about redemption here when Christ hasn't been born yet? It's because the Bible says that, that, that the Lamb, the Lamb of God was slain from the foundation of the world. In God's eternal decree, he had always determined that he would save a people for himself at infinite personal cost. Throughout eternity, God has been sacrificing his son in his mind and heart for us until the day it finally came in space-time history when Jesus shed real human blood to pay for our sins. Why should we say thank you, God? Because he loves us. Because he has redeemed us. And we, we say, why, why are you allowing this kind of suffering? And we may not ever get an answer to that until eternity. But we do know this, that when we cry out like that, we cry out to a father who knows what suffering is. We cry out to a savior who knows what the fear of death is, who knows what who knows what evil is, who knows what it is to be betrayed. This is your Redeemer. This Redeemer, though he is vengeful, will be on the great day. He is the one who nevertheless, by the end of the book of Acts, had brought the gospel to every one of these nations mentioned. To Edom and Moab through Jesus' Perean ministry. To, uh, to Philistia by Acts chapter 8 and to Canaan by Acts chapter 11. This is our Redeemer. We may say thank you God. 1617 Martin Rinkert was, was called to be pastor in his hometown of a little village in Germany. And just as he came there as a 31-year-old man, the 30 years war broke out. 20 years into his time, and it was a terrible time for him, terrible time for his village, terrible time for him personally as he had to put up soldiers, they ate him out of house and home. He continued to minister the gospel. 20 years into his ministry there, the great plague was sweeping across Europe. And in the middle of that plague, Martin Rinkert wrote a prayer for his family to, to uh, read and to say together in the evening, at the evening meal. And he eventually sang it and now it is the most common hymn in Germany outpacing even a mighty fortress we have that hymn number 61 in our new hymnal now thank we all our God now thank we all our God really Martin Rinkert you would say that in the middle of the plague 
when your own wife died, when you're burying 30 to 40 of your parishioners per day, when you end up burying 4,000 people in your village, when your clergymen colleagues in surrounding villages have also died, you can say this, have you lost your mind? Martin Rinkert would say, no, I haven't lost my mind. I just haven't lost my focus on God's attributes. The God who is going to bring justice on this at the great day and the God who has faithfully redeemed me in Jesus Christ and though I die, yet shall I live. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done and in his world rejoices. Who from our mother's arms has led us and blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Now listen to this. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal God whom heaven and earth adore. For thus it was, tis now, and shall be evermore. Say it with me, brothers and sisters. Even by faith, say it with me. Thank you, God.